Radio. Simplicity and Humility, a talk by Father Eldridge D'Souza at CapFest 2017. I would like to introduce my topic. It is the courageous life of humility and simplicity of the early Capuchins and the ones who are here now too. And as we speak about the life of simplicity and humility, I would say to live this life, basically what they required was courage. We require courage in every aspect of our life, no doubt. But when it comes to humility and simplicity, when we face the people, the art of being different requires an inner courage. And this is what we find in the life of our Capuchins and many other people who have dedicated their life to service of God and humanity. I would like to begin with a short prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful day that you have given us. We thank you for being with us during this time in our presence. We thank you for the beautiful morning. And as we begin this day, we ask you to be with us, guide us, and protect us. Help us in a way as we journey today to be people who are here to understand for what we are here. Help us to absorb the things that we learn and bring out the best that we have in us in such a way where we serve you and serve your people in the best way possible. We make our prayer to Christ our Lord. Amen. The Psalm 116, verse 6 says, The Lord preserves the simple. One of the characteristics, I would say, of simplicity, which when found in a person, it makes him very unsophisticated, sincere, and natural. And simplicity is all about a particular enthusiasm, a charity, a generosity, one's positive approach to everything, but yet not overconfident. Sometimes we are very positive that we can do it. We have in us the capacity to do it. We feel, yes, I've done it in the past. And as we go in this direction, sometimes because of the positives that we have, the plus points that we have in our lives, some may be good speakers, some may be good musicians. As we journey down the line, this same asset that we have may, in a way, lead us to overconfidence. But simplicity and humility, in a way, helps us not to be overconfident, but just bring out the best we have and give the best to people. This is what we would see in the lives of some saints who I would present to you. And St. Francis, our founder, uses this word simplicity in his testament, where he says, And the Lord gave me such faith in churches that I would pray with simplicity in this way. You can see it. We adore you, Lord Jesus Christ, in all your churches throughout the whole world. And we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Did you hear this prayer any time before? When you went, I'm sure, for the World Youth Day, you must have prayed it in the churches. And the beauty of this prayer is that whenever St. Francis of Assisi used to find a church, or empty church, or even a full church, used to always go in and in simplicity say this prayer, adoring the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, or praying before the crucifix. And this is a tradition right from that time till today. We pray it in all our churches. 
when we were in formation, we used to have a particular time just to say this prayer. And whenever we begin our prayers, sometimes we pray this in, uh, in big place, in places where we gather, like for sometimes for chapters or when we have meetings. This is a prayer which is though very simple, but very rich in meaning. Today, I would like to speak upon St. Felix of Nicosia, his life of simplicity and humility. He was born on November 5th, 1715, and he was given the name James. We have one James here. Two or one? Father James, yeah. And his parents gave him the name James, and the beauty of him was that he grew up always in Christian virtues. His father was a cobbler, and his father actually had a dream for him, a dream to make him the best cobbler in town. And as he wanted to pursue in this dream, he sent his son as an apprentice to another cobbler who was much better than his father. When James reached the age of school and had to go to high school, the thing was he knew that his parents couldn't afford it. And in his humility, he took the place next to his father to help in the family business. He didn't argue. He didn't fight. He didn't say, I want to go to school and you've got to provide. But he understood. He sensed the situation. So I would say right from the very beginning in his life, we find this aspect of humility and simplicity, sensing, or sensing the situation in his family and then adjusting to the situation of the time. And as he went and started learning this, uh, the trade of being a good cobbler, he slowly came in touch with a small group of people who were associated to the Capuchins in a church which was close by. And it was known as the Capuchinelli, a small group of people who used to gather for prayer and used to learn some things from them in the church where he used to go with his mother. Because at the same time as his father wanted him to become a good cobbler. He also wanted him to become a good Christian. He actually prayed the rosary every day. He participated in family prayers, went for the Sunday liturgy, and in the church of Madonna dei Miracoli. This is where he met or he had the initial contact with the Capuchins. And there was something right from that very time, I would say, that would enable him to decide the future of his life. And day in and day out, whenever he went and participated in the prayer group, the small Capuchinelli, as I said, it was a small group of people who prayed together and associated themselves with the Capuchins. And as he went and associated himself with them, he found a certain amount of belongingness to the Capuchins. And he expressed his desire to his parents, who were quite happy with it. And one day he went uh, to the Capuchin monastery and went and, you know, knocked, not knocked on the door, I don't know exactly how he entered, but he went to the Capuchin monastery and he expressed his desire to be a Capuchin. And, well, the, the friar there or the superior at that time, well, he said no. That was the first shock perhaps he would have got in his life. But then in humility and simplicity, he went back home, continued his trade. He tried a second time. The second time, too, he was rejected. He was not sure why. But then he went, and after another few years, he went back again to the same monastery because he lived in the same place there. 
And then once again he was rejected, the third time. I'm sure some people would have given up hope. And eventually his parents passed away. He thought maybe this was the reason why I wasn't accepted. This was the reasons why they didn't take me because we belonged to a cobbler and I was the one who was assisting my father in the trade, maybe the main support of my family. And they thought if they take me in, my family would suffer. But anyway, he went after his parents died. He went once again to the Capuchin Monastery and uh, went there to be admitted or asked to be admitted. And once again, he was rejected the fourth time. Well, I'm sure he would have given up hope and said, I better learn how to be a good cobbler myself, you know. But anyway, he, whenever he was rejected, whenever something happened, he had just one very famous phrase, and that was, let it be done for the love of God. Whatever happened in his life, he said, let it be done for the love of God. Even when he was an apprentice at the, at, uh, the cobbler, and you know, whenever there was a time for prayer or the Angelus bell rung at the church nearby, he always called people to you know, come and pray, or he said, don't worry, things will be happy. And whenever people made fun of him, he said, let it be done for the love of God. This was one of the very famous, or very, the, I could say, the sentence that he almost uttered in his life. But nevertheless, he was destined to be a capuchin. And he was destined to be a capuchin. And it happened in his life when on the 1st of October, 1743, the provincial of that area happened to be there. And Brother Bonaventure of Alcara was the provincial minister. And James used his brains. He went directly to the provincial and he said to be accepted in the order, and definitely the provincial said yes. So finally, it was after 10 years of asking to be admitted in the order, he was finally admitted in the order. And then he admitted and he wanted to dedicate his life as a lay brother. So St. Felix of Nicosia is a saint, a lay brother that we have, who in humility and simplicity lived his life in the Capuchin order. And just... For one year, he wasn't in Nicosia, the place of his birth, where he was sent to do the novitiate in another place. But then for 43 years, he was in Nicosia. And his main ministry was that of questing. For 43 years, he went questing in the neighborhood. So you can imagine the courage that he has, like to be of the place and to go into that same place, questing day in and day out. And normally, it's not normal for a person to be for 43 years in the same place, you know, as Capuchins or as Franciscans. Uh, not only that time, it wasn't normal. Even today, it's not normal to be 43 years in one place. But there's one reason why he was kept, because his superiors found him as an edifying example to the rest. His holiness, his courage, especially his simplicity and humility, wherein he went and always has these words at his mouth. Let it be done for the love, may it be done for the love of God. And as you know, there's a St. Felix of Cantilecia too. Everybody knew him. And whenever he got the opportunity to catechize children, catechize people, help people, his ministry was primarily questing. But in this quest, he was a great... Questing is uh, begging. Yeah? He went from door to door, from shop to shop, to back for food or other things for the house. And this was his duty, this was his ministry for 40, 
55 years. What is this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there were, there were many times when he was tested. He had, he had a guardian, and, a, and the guardian too was also his spiritual director. And I could say, you know, sometimes God uses or makes use of different people in our lives to actually test and bring out the best that we have in us, bring out our virtues, sometimes maybe the vices, <laughs> but bring out our virtues to the best ability. It will be maybe patience. God tests our patience to different people we meet, especially when you're driving on the road, your patience is tested when you have a slow driver in front. And then maybe humility, simplicity. And this was, I could say, one of the primary testing periods of the li- in the life of St. Uh, Felix of Nicosia. He had this guardian. His name is Macarius, Brother Macarius. And he never, as you can find in his bibliography or in his biography, Brother Macarius never missed an opportunity to humiliate Brother Felix. He always found different opportunities. And as the biographer says, or as different writings says, perhaps this was, this was the opportunity, opportunity given by God to Felix to bring out that virtue in him to the fullest. And why do I say so? Because he used sometimes cruel words, and sometimes on the feast days, he used to make Brother Felix dressed like a clown and entertain the friars or the guests who came there. And, you know, he used to, he used to be dancing and making, uh, making fun of him and calling him different names. And one fine day, uh, when the brothers assembled in the refectory or the dining room where they have food, he made him wear the clown's clothes, made him dance, carry a basket of uh, cakes made of ash, and say, behave that you're giving everyone uh, you know, a bread with cheese or, ric- what is the word? I can't get it. <laughs> um, ricotta, am I right? Ricotta cheese. <laughs> ricotta cheese. Cheesecake, give it to everyone. And he, in his humility, he said yes. And whenever he was humiliated, we are told, he used the same words. May it be done for the love of God. And in this humility and simplicity, he did what his guardian asked him to do. And lo, as we say, God uses the simple to shame the wise. As he was distributing the cakes, they eventually really became the ricotta cheesecakes or ricotta cheese, uh, whatever, you know. Really became so that was a miracle, and everyone was stunned. How did this ash really become cheese? That was one of the miracles that happened in his lifetime. And finally, when we talk about his death, there's a lot we can talk about him, but you know, I'm going to capsule his life. Uh, it was somewhere on the 31st of May when he was laying dead, given the final anointing of the sick, as we call it, a death. And he was in the Capuchin Infirmary. And they had the tradition, or we have the tradition, I'm not sure today. I've not seen it, but we have the tradition when uh, after you're anointed, the friar asks the guardian the permission to die. Not that he's going to shoot him this way, but I'm just saying that was the humility and the simplicity wherein they used to ask the guardian the permission to die and the guardian is to give him his blessing and they rested in peace. And Felix of Nicosia asked his guardian once, oh, he said, you can't die so soon. He didn't give him the permission. He asked him again, he didn't give him the permission to die. He was very frail and sick. But finally, when the doctor or the infirmarian came and told his guardian that I think he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and it's 8 o'clock now, but his soul is alive 
his body is dead. That's the time the guardian gave him the final blessing. And it is said that is the first time the guardian called him by name. Brother Felix, I bless you. That was the first time in his life the brother guardian called him by name. And he said, the time has come for you to depart from this world to eternal life. And he blessed him. As soon as he had done so, Brother Felix, thanking God for all that he blessed him, thanking the brothers for taking care and also seeking their pardon in case he committed any offense, said, for the love of God, and he breathed his last on the 31st of May. So, you know, this was one of the, in short, a life of Brother Felix of Nicosia, whose life of simplicity and humility was edifying. And as I said, his famous tagline, may it be done for the love of God. So whatever thing he endured in his life, the suffering, whatever he was asked to do, he did it with this caption. He offered his entire life for the love of God. Whatever came in his life, he did it for the love of God. Another great saint that Brother Dean, Father, Father Dean spoke about yesterday was St. Crispin of Viterbo. And he has been a quester. You know what's a quester? He had been a beggar for his life. I mean, he had taken up the ministry of questing, of begging, and he did it once again in simplicity. And one of the beauty we are said, like Felix of Nicosia, everyone in that area knew who Brother Crispin of Viterbo was. We also can know him. He's someone like this. Brother Crispin of Viterbo. And it is said that Whenever he is to quest or whenever he is to beg, you know, you, you gather a lot of things or people give you a lot of things. And he used to keep what is required for the friars, but the rest he used to give to the people. So his ministry of simplicity and humility was not just confined to the service of the friars, but he went a step ahead. And if he found someone in need of something which he had or which people had given him when he begged or quested, Generously, he went out and gave it to them too. Another one which we heard yesterday too was Leopold of Mandage. And as we know, he was a great confessor. I'm told by Father Dean that he was so tall. Is it right? (laughs) So tall. And the thing was that in his life, he wanted to be a missionary. He wanted to go out and work in different missions. That was, his, uh, that was one of the things that he wanted to do in his life. But then when his superiors asked him to take up the ministry of confession, he did it with great joy. I would say the simplicity in mission, the humility to adapt to a new mission that was given to him marks him out in this, in this lifestyle. And then he said once, I, fi- I am like a bird in a cage. My heart is beyond the seas. I don't know what it means exactly. But he says, <laughs> a lesson from St. Leopold to teachers is, as an inspiration to be very humble and strong in the Christian faith we receive from God. And as he said, as St. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, It was to shame the strong that he chose the weak by human reckoning. That means to say, I don't know how weak he was, but physically, but definitely he found himself gifted by God in this new mission. And he took up this mission, and the sacrament of reconciliation was something that he exercised his entire life. 
And therefore, when we have in our confessionals, mostly in our Capuchin churches, in the confessionals, we have the photo of St. Leopold of Mandic as an inspiration for us that no matter what ministry we are doing, we are doing it for the love of God and we execute it in simplicity and humility. St. Felix of Cantilece, another great, another great saint, it is said that he too was a person who used to quest for food for the friars and he used to always say to the brothers who were with him, let our eyes be downcast, our fingers on our rosary and our heart in heaven. And, you know, as young teenagers, maybe some boys in the German college at that time, some German college in Rome, they wanted, and wanted to make or have some fun with this joyful quester. They used to call him. He was very joyful and very happy and all. So one day, and you know, when they were questing on the streets of Rome at that time, in the villages and in the suburbs, when they went away walking miles and miles, definitely the feet were tired. They were dusty, you know, of all the dust. And these guys thought, let's catch him and throw him in a, in a fountain in Rome. And they did it. They caught him and threw him in a fountain and they scrubbed his feet and they made it clean and nice. And they said, now let him go. And then in humility, he allowed them to manhandle him. But then as soon as he came out of the water, he went and jumped in a puddle and went home happily. <laughs> so... He, that, that was his life. He, didn't, he just wanted to be who he was. He didn't want to change. And that was his, that was his way of just being simple. And another one, St. Seraphine of Montegrenaro. In his childlike simplicity, he used to say, uh, he used to like to wear the habit, or like we all like to wear the habit, but he liked to wear the habit which is very attached and patched, and you know, he did not like to wear a new habit at all. He was very happy to wear a second-hand one, not that he went on sale to see what was on sale in the Capuchin Priories, but he liked to wear a second-hand one. And one day, his guardian told him to wear a new one. And he, took, he wore the new one out of obedience and simplicity, and they said, let's go to the village to pray. To pray. He went with the guardian in this new habit, in simplicity, but he was very uncomfortable in it. It was like, you know, all the time, you know, this and all this thing. And then anyhow, he was, laugh- he, he was so uncomfortable that the people around could make out that he was uncomfortable. And they were grinning and smiling and everything. And then when he came back home, the good and humble brother asked his guardian, So do you think I did not know how to act as a gentleman? Or do you think I behaved like a gentleman by wearing the good habit? And the superior felt very, you know, humiliated by his, these words in the sense like, he said, well, I really tested maybe the patience or I really put to test the simplicity or made fun of the simplicity of a genuine brother. And he gave him back his old habit and told him to you know, wear it and be in peace. The other thing that is said to us about St. Seraphim is once he and another friar, they were told to go and bring some fish for lunch. And St. Uh, Seraphim, they went by the river to fish and he just put his hand near the river and a lot of fish came there. It's not a joke, it's reality. <laughs> he came, fish came there and the, and the friar who was with him was very happy because they didn't have to waste much time fishing. He said, oh, all the fish has come. And then like St. Anthony of Padua, who the fish came to listen to him, this brother in his humility and simplicity felt, felt pity for this fish. He said, no, we don't have to harm these creatures. 
And the other brother was saying, no, just take it, take it. You'll just fish it out, you know. He's saying no. And he gave them a blessing and the fish went back in the sea. And this other brother was, oh, God, we've got to get fish now, you know. So, but then this was the life of these few little, I mean, not few little, of, the, of, these, of these friars, the simple life of humility and simplicity. One of the important characteristics we could say <clears throat> was embedded in their life was courage. Without courage, we cannot bring out the best in us. And they had the courage to go and face society. And that is what we as Capuchins, we, we tend to have or tend to generate in us as we journey in our lives. The courage to face society and be who we are to be in the world today. And at the same time, undoubtedly, we could say, it's because of their simplicity and humility, God lavished on these early friars many gifts. Many gifts of reading minds, reading the intelligence, and working miracles. Simplicity is perfect uprightness. And a simple narrative of the death of the early friars, which I told you, one of the friars, Felix of Nicosia, their simplicity even to the last point of dying, when they begged or they asked the permission of their guardian. It was not like if the guardian says you cannot die, they would live for another hundred years. No. The thing was, this was how they were brought up. This was what was expected, and this is what they did. No matter who they were, they went to the guardian in simplicity to ask his permission. These are some of the things that perhaps when we read today, they may stun us, but they have done it and they have lived it. And St. Francis, in his testament, outlined the life he led with the early friars. He just said this, We were simple and subject to all. What I would like you to watch now is a small PowerPoint thing, which I got from somewhere. I didn't prepare it. And uh, in that, it shows about how life can be so simple at times. And yet, because of maybe, I don't say we don't have to aim for higher things in life. we got to aim for higher things in life. But at what cost? At what cost are we going to aim? At what cost are we going to you know, go behind targets? Go behind achievements at what cost is what this beautiful PowerPoint teaches us. We'll have a look and then I'll continue with a few things. I don't know if you watched this earlier or seen it earlier. It's about a simple man who was fishing in Mexico and he was approached after us by an American. Are there any Americans here? <laughs> I don't think so. And then he wanted to give him some advice of how he can become the best fisherman in the world and have a big business. But at what cost was the question by this fisherman? So like he says, we can read it. He was a small fisherman who had a small fishing boat, went and fished and got something which would provide for his family for his daily need. And then he said, how long did you take to catch the fish? And he says, only once in a while I catch fish. So why didn't you stay longer and catch some more fish? And he said, I had enough to support my family's immediate needs. He said, but what do you do with the rest of your time? He says, I sleep late, fish around, play with my children, have siesta with my wife, Maria. I stroll into the village each evening 
where I sip wine and play guitar with my friends. I have a full and busy life, senor, he says. And then the other guy says, I'm a Harvard MBA. I could help you. You should you spend more time fishing. With the proceeds, you can buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could, serve, you could buy several boats, and eventually you would have a, fishing, a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you can sell it directly to the professor and open your own cannery. You would control, and he gives him ideas of business, product, processing, and distribution. You would need to move into, you'd need to leave the small village and move into Mexico City, then Los Angeles, and eventually New York, and run your business from there. And then he asked him, but how long will that take? He said, maybe 15 to 20 years. And then what? Or but then what, senor? The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would tell your company, stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. And he said, millions, senor, then what? The American said, then you would retire and move to a small coastal village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your grandchildren, take siestas with your wife Maria, stroll to the village in the evenings where you sip wine, play guitar with your amigos. So what's the thing? He and he said, actually, it's not there in this. He says, I'm doing that right away. Why do I have to wait for 15 years to do that? You told me the same thing, what I'm doing, but you told me do it after 15 years. So when I, when I said, when I, the reason why I put this is life is, as I said, life is very simple, but simplicity is very complicated at times. Life is very simple, but simple is not easy, we say. And this man was living his simple life, providing for his family. The American gave him good ideas. At the same time, at what cost? Because his main question was, but what then? Or then what? After that, what? If I can't spend my life thanking the Lord and spending it with my family or giving back to my family at this point of time, what I am doing, you know, I have to wait for 15, 20 years when I lose relationships. I lose maybe the joy of living, but I'm concentrated on my selfishness, on my way to become great, and I, at the cost of my family maybe, sometimes children or parents maybe focus in a different direction, but not giving that immediate attention and care to the family needs, but to make money, to be prosperous, and then in that we lose the joy of living. So simplicity in our life brings out in us the best, helps us to enjoy life in a simple way. No doubt we fend for the family or we fend for ourselves, but at what cost? The question here is at what cost am I giving up the simple beauties that life has to offer me? This Albert Einstein, you know him? Yeah. So he says, nothing truly valuable arises from ambition or from a mere sense of duty. It stems rather from love and devotion towards men, I mean to say towards humanity, not only men. Okay? So that's one thing. And then another thing I would like to talk about on humility and simplicity is some scripture quotes where actually 
from Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. This is something wherein we understand how Christ, though he was the Son of God, became or took our human nature. He was like us in everything except sin and lived this life in humility for a reason. A reason was to establish that kingdom of God, to bring out uh, the love of God and reconcile man with God. And he did this in the most human way. He did it, I would not say like a spectacle, as Pope Francis said in one of his sermons on Sunday the 15th of March 2015. I hope it was a Sunday. You can just check it out. And in that he speaks about the simplicity of Christ how Christ lived his life of simpleness or simplicity. And he says, God acts in humility and in silence. Spectacle is not his way. That was Pope Francis' message in in Casa Santa Marta. And as he spoke about that, he brings out how, you know, in the Old Testament we have the readings from Naaman, one of the leper Assyrian commander, He was suffering from leprosy. And the prophet Elisha tells him to go and have a bathe in a particular river. And he says, why do I have to go to bathe in that particular river? We have so many beautiful rivers in our area. But he says, go and bathe in that particular river and you will be healed. And then Naaman couldn't understand why. And then one of his servants said, just do it. What are you losing? Just do it because the prophet is asking you to do it. And definitely he goes and he bathes in that river and he was clean. And Pope Francis tells us from this Old Testament reading, he says, he had the humility to listen to one of his servants, to one of the persons who was assisting him on the journey. And this is how God works. This is God's style. He speaks about even Jesus in his homily at that day. The style of God is is his simplicity. The humility of God is his style. And In that sermon, he speaks about the three temptations of Jesus, when the devil came and tempted Jesus on the mountain. If you, you know, turn these stones into bread, if you fall down, let the angels come and pick you, or bow bow down before me and I give you all these things. But the way how God acts is not in a spectacle, he says. It's very humble and very simple. Even when we look at the different miracles that Jesus did in his life, when we find once when there was the multiplication of fish and loaves. It was very simple. He says, does anyone have anything to eat? And he does it in the most human way. The bread and the fish were multiplied. We also find whenever he healed people, he had one sentence to tell them. Do not tell this to anyone. Do not go and make a big show and say, oh, I healed you. Go and tell them the Son of Man has healed you. No. But he did it in the most simple way. And this is what brings out that aspect of simplicity and humility in the life of Christ, what Pope Francis said on that, on, in the, during that sermon. As I would like to uh, leave you with another PowerPoint show, uh, one thing I would like to say before I end this, humility or simplicity is a strange thing. You know, humility or simplicity is a very strange thing. The moment you think you have it, you've lost it. The moment you think you have it, it's lo- you lost it. It's a continuous effort to remain humble and simple. Because as you know in your life, as you journey, there will be so many things that come by your way where we were tempted to say, I know it. 
template, no doubt you got to strive for the best. You got to prove yourself best in this world because it's a very competitive world. At the same time, we got to guard ourselves against pride. Sometimes the more proud we are, the more we ourselves dig our own graves. The more proud we are, the more we want to highlight everything that we know. Sometimes we ourselves find ourselves frustrated, find ourselves dejected, find ourselves not getting anywhere. But we know what our strengths are. We know how we can encounter the world. At the same time, we do it in a way that gives us confidence every day in ourselves. Confidence not to put down others. Confidence not to prove that we are the best to the world, but confidence to tell us every day, I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best. And in this aspect, and in this, if we travel in this attitude of simplicity, if we travel in this attitude of humility, wherein I use my gifts, I use my talents for the service of man, for the service of God, for the service of humanity, I would find myself growing. But if I, on the other hand, no doubt I improve myself every day, but go ahead with this attitude that I'm using whatever I have to prove that I'm the best in the world, definitely tomorrow if we find someone else better than us, we would lose it. Because our aim was not to use the best that we have so that we can give the best to the world. Our aim would have been to use the best we have to show others I'm the best. And here lies the difference. And therefore, as I said a few moments ago, humility or simplicity is a strange thing. The moment we think we have it, we lose it. I will leave you with this small last PowerPoint on humility. And thank you very much for your patient listening. It's just a few sayings, so you know from where I got it. <laughs> True humility is not... Can any, everyone see it? Oh, it's too low, I think, isn't it? I'll just read it out. True humility is not an abject, groveling, self-despising spirit, but it's the right estimate of ourselves as God sees us. And humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself at all. We come nearest to the great when we are in great humility. The best way to get to the last word is to apologize. An admission of error is a sign of strength rather than a confession of weakness. Humility leads to strength and not to weakness. It is the highest form of self-respect to admit mistakes and to make amends for them. Humility before God is nothing if not proved in humility before men. And I'm sure if we look at this sentence and reflect on the life of St. Felix of Nicosia, we find his humility before God was proved in his life before men, especially in his own friary with his, with his guardian. The test of a man's character is how he takes praise. 
Sincere humility attracts, lack of humility, humility subtracts, and artificial humility detracts. So, you know, we've got to be on guard if you're artificially humble too. The meek man is not a human mouse, afflicted with a sense of its own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as, a, as bold as a lion, as strong as Samson. You know who's Samson? Samson is one of the biblical figures gifted by God, and his strength was in his hair. Don't keep long hair. He had long hair, and God said that was his strength. And in due course of time, he was so strong because of the gift that God blessed him with, the gift of strength. And eventually, as life took its course, he lost his strength because of deceive, being deceived by a woman. And then later on, he lost his strength. And that's, why he, that's the statement, as strong as Samson, because he was very strong by the gift or by the grace of God. Humility makes a man feel smaller as he becomes greater. For thus said the high and the lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the eye. It's gone? Okay. The high and the holy place with him also that is of contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. That was Father Eldridge D'Souza with Simplicity and Humility at CapFest 2017, which was based on the theme Saints and Heroes. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.